I met Corey probably six years ago, five years ago, six years maybe. Uh, I drew the short end of a stick, uh, the straw, the short straw, and bringing uh, another great mutual friend of ours came up to us as pastors in Burlington and said, I want to do some training. There's this organization called the Cross Currents. They meet in London, but I need a staff person to come with me, and I was that staff person. I was incredibly blessed. I grew up in the church. I was skeptic of, of evangelism, street evangelism, the word evangelist, all of those things. But as I sat there for that weekend, I sat there listening to a man who loved the church, who, who loved God's word, and who confronted me with what an evangelist is by and from the word of God. Uh, it is through him that I was convicted to walk across the street and to have conversations with my friends or neighbors. It's through his ministry that I was trained on how to have a conversation uh, with those who do not know Jesus and how to steer that. Uh, I've been blessed by him, and I pray, and I know that God will use him to bless you today. So, Corey, come on up. Well, a very good morning. I have uh, spoken in lots of churches, but never Knollwood, so this is exciting for me as well. I do want to return the, uh, the favor to Pastor Nate. Uh, you know, uh, I love this guy, um, and encourage you in this, that uh, this church is in good hands. The Lord's first and foremost, amen? Uh, but as well, um, you know, when, when uh, there was a bit of a buzz in the uh, conservative pastor community here in London uh, about a young man coming to this town from outside of London, and he's a very faithful young preacher, this was the guy. And so uh, I'm just very thankful um, to, to be here this morning. And uh, today we're actually talking about being Christ's witnesses and really uh, the priority of evangelism in the local church. And as we get started, I invite you to think back. You know, maybe it was way back for, for some of you to that miraculous moment when God's saving grace first touched your life and you were confronted with the reality and the, the beauty and the majesty of who Jesus really is. Remember that? Maybe that was way back for some of us. And maybe you remember just the fact that sharing Jesus it just was so simple and never felt so good. You just want, you know, God gave you this zeal, this passion, this, this desire to tell anyone and everyone who would listen about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Very simple. Witnessing never felt so good. <laughs> but maybe you remember that first negative witnessing experience. That was my family. Didn't feel so good. Got to be honest. Did not at all. But somewhere along the way, in my own life and maybe yours as well, that fire, that zeal, that, that, that passion, that simple witness to those who desperately need to hear this good news, it sort of died down into a cool Christian comfort zone. To the place that I know it to be true that in a room this size, there's not more than one or two people sharing their faith on any regular basis at all. Now, does that make us bad Christians? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, amen? That's absolutely true. We just sang about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. However, however, instead of a keeping the car running sort of evangelist, who knows what I mean by that? Blow in, blow up, blow out, that, that kind of, that, that's not 
my heart. I'm a pastor at heart. I've been a pastor for 17 years, and there's a new season of ministry I'll tell you a little bit about in a few minutes. Uh, but, um, but instead of that, what if that Ephesians 4 equipping evangelist actually equipped you by example under the leadership of your church to be Christ's witnesses together. Now that sounds like biblical disciple-making to me. And that's really our heart as a ministry and my heart as the leader. But I thank God that he graciously brought someone into my life to do just that. To actually take me by the hand and say, hey, Corey, let's go. Let's share. Let's, let's go and be Christ's witnesses together. You see, after serving as an evangelism and discipleship pastor for years to youth and, and young adults and adults, it still breaks my heart to, to hear believers confess time and time again that they feel fearful and ill-equipped to be Christ's witnesses to their world. So today, we're going to search the scriptures together to find out that God is already present tense, given you, given me, given us together, everything we need to be his witnesses. So if you have a Bible, turn in the Bible to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts, right at the beginning, Acts chapter 1. And uh, here's the context of what we're about to read. See, in Luke's first book, his gospel, Luke gave us an account of what Jesus began to do and to teach through his witness to the world. And now Luke's second book here, the book of Acts, gives us an account of what Jesus continued to do and teach through their witness to the world as his disciples. So here in Acts chapter 1, it's 40 days after Christ's resurrection, the scene is the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is about to commission his followers to be his witnesses. And what we're going to hear, if we listen very, very closely, is that his call is just as clear for his disciples here today, as it was for his disciples then on that day. So the story starts with the disciples approaching Jesus with what you might call wishful thinking. Look at verse 6. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, not to let them off the hook here, but context. I mean, these were Jewish followers they had the scriptures they knew darn well that this man standing in front of them had fulfilled all necessary prophecies to qualify as their jewish messiah yeshua Hamashiach. this was the guy this was the guy so they're kind of wondering lord are you finally going to drive out these oppressive romans and get us our country back it's probably what they're thinking so what does jesus say Look at the text says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Don't, don't you wish you could have heard how Jesus said what he said sometimes? I think that would have sounded in modern sort of language something like this. Look, listen up. The when of my Father's business is none of yours. Now get back to work. Get to work. I think that's what he was saying, really. Because what these, this is still Jesus talking, what these fulfilled prophecies really mean for you right now is that we've given you everything you need to be my witnesses now, hear this, while there's still time. There's urgency in the language of the text. So in our text, we first see that God has given us his power for being Christ's witnesses. His power, we sang about that in one of those songs this morning. 
Look what Jesus says in verse 8. At the beginning, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, the Greek word for power here is dunamis. This means power, of course, strength, ability, authority. It's actually where we get English words like dyna, dynamite, dynamo, both references to explosive, sustaining power. And praise God that this Holy Spirit power is a vital promise that God gives every believer for a vital purpose. In fact, it's so vital, if you look at verse 4, just bounce your eyes back up there, Jesus says he actually orders his followers to stay in Jerusalem until they received this Holy Spirit power. If, if some of you are old enough to remember the old American Express commercials, it's like dunamis power, don't leave home without it. Kind of what he's saying. Kind of what he's saying. Well, why is that? Well, here's why, according to Jesus. Look at verse 8. And part of that, you will be my witnesses, my witnesses. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit bears witness or glorifies Christ in many ways. His ministry is multifaceted through illuminating his word, through regeneration, through sanctification. But here, in context, in Acts chapter 1, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit is very clearly given to all believers specifically for preaching the gospel because it's through this power his power his power that the holy spirit enables christ followers to fulfill their our commission as his witnesses i mean think of it this way as i drill down into this text think of it this way if jesus received this holy spirit empowerment before starting his preaching ministry what makes little old me think that I don't need that dunamis power all the more for sharing the good news of the gospel. Does that make sense? (laughs) And practically, I want to try to kind of quantify the power of the Spirit in Scripture by way of illustration. It's for illustrative values, okay? Now, this is kind of, I think, what this looks like. This is, let's just say it this way. These are two believers, Coke Life. Just to, I thought I'd use Coke Life just to kind of try to get the meaning in there. These are two believers. What I'm saying here is at conversion we receive the Spirit of God. Everyone gets that, right? We're not talking about people who are better or worse. These are two blood-bought believers. They're not false converts. They're real Christians. Here's, though, the way that the Holy Spirit pours or sort of uh, um, lives in and ministers through the life of the average follower of Christ. You see that? This is someone who's probably going to church, maybe, maybe reading their Bible every once in a while. They've got a worship CD in their car, on their iPod. and Visible ministry of the Spirit in this person's life? Yeah. There's fruit? I mean, they're, they're a Christian. Visible? Yes. Radical? Mm. They're just doing the good Christian things that they do. Everyone gets that one? I'll try not to kick that. That's, that's, that's Christ follower number one. This is Christ follower number two. Same spirit. This is why I don't want you to think quantity. That's a very Greek way of approaching life. Not quantity. I want you to think ministry. Yieldedness. If there's a unit of Holy Spirit growth and empowerment, the word is yielded. The quicker I yield to the Spirit's work, the more I grow as a follower of Christ. You understand that? We grow, in, we grow in size and units of time. I've got a kid at the back here, and, uh, and he's going to get bigger 
with no effort of his own as he grows older. Everyone understands the Christian life just doesn't work that way. You grow in units of obedience. The more you yield to the Spirit's work, the more you grow. That's why you've got some Christians that are like 20 years following Jesus and they, they appear to be sort of a child in the faith. And then you've got another one who's like two years following Jesus and they appear to be very, very mature. Why? Because they're yielding quicker. So this is the yielded one. This is not a personality type. This is not your type A, your type B. It's not like that. What this person does is yields to the ministry of the Spirit. They empty themselves of themselves and they're filled in the biblical language of the Spirit of God. Same Holy Spirit. But something different happens within the heart and mind and life of this believer. Right? So what I want you to get is the dynamics of the ministry of the Holy Spirit are changing here. Visible, yes. Radical? Want to give that open, man? No? Now, let let me just put that within the language of the text. That is the response, I truly believe, that darkness has when that believer shows up on the screen, or the scene. Whoa, this is something different here. See, most of us have a very diminished theology of the Holy Spirit. I did for years. We call that pneumatology. You want a 75-cent word to impress someone with at the water cooler at work tomorrow? Pneumatology, theology of the Holy Spirit. I used to think the Holy Spirit was sort of like an app on my phone. I'd launch him when I need him. Can I tell you something? He's the, he's the operating system. He's the whole thing. See, you need the Holy Spirit to love your husband or wife as the scriptures teach you. You need the Holy Spirit to raise godly kids. You need the Holy Spirit for everything. Everything. But in the context of this passage, church, by faith, when we're emptied of ourselves and through the Holy Spirit, we're filled with Christ who is the wisdom, who is the power of God. When we're filled with Him, He gives us His supernatural, dunamis, strength, power, ability, authority to do whatever it is He's commanded us to do. Now, we're talking about evangelism today, but that is really the expression of your worship. Do you understand that? That's all that is. Worship inspires witness. This is not in my notes, but I would challenge you in this. If you truly worship Jesus in spirit and truth today, but you leave this room and you tell no one about it, I question the legitimacy of your worship. That's just not the pattern of the Bible. Worship inspires witness. And we're all scared to do that. We're going to get to that. But God gives us his dunamis power. We've all got it, folks, to be his witnesses. Second, God has also given us his plan for being Christ's witnesses. His plan. His plan is wrapped up in this phrase, you will be my witnesses. See, the first point we need to catch here is that Jesus did not pose a question. Hey, will you be my witnesses? wasn't like that. He said, you will be my witnesses. But witnesses of, of what? What is his plan for his witnesses, well, taking a closer look at this word witness, it's a very interesting word. The Greek word for witness here in Acts 1.8 is martus. It really simply means one who gives testimony. That's a witness. Think of a court case. But it goes much, much deeper because martus is also where we get this English word martyr. Wow. Because historically... Historically, a Christian witness came to be known as one who, yes, gave their life, but even gave up their life for this testimony. So it begs the question, church, what 
is the testimony that we're commanded by King Jesus to give. Now, in most ministry settings, because I I kind of, by God's grace, I kind of uh, mix and mingle in all kinds of Christian circles, most Christian testimonies I hear kind of can be wrapped up by how Jesus fixed my life. You know, he, he, he cured this, he cured that, he fixed this, he fixed that. Praise God for his sanctifying work. Absolutely true. Thankful for that. We should all give God glory for transforming our lives. Amen? Absolutely true. But let me ask you, is that, is that the testimony that a martyr, a Christian witness, dies telling? Is that the true biblical testimony? I thank God for Jim standing here. I kind of, part of me kind of goes, I wish he'd give the sermon today. I'd like to know what's rattling around in his heart and mind right now. Praise God for his faithfulness. Praise God for the simple, I'm in God's hands. I'm in God's hands. God is sovereign. But Luke talks about the testimony of a witness in Acts chapter 4. One of my favorite little passages of scripture. He says this, Luke chapter, Acts chapter 4, 32 and 33. Now the full number of those, just picture this, the full number of those who believed, the church that is, were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Little footnote, that's the church. The goal is the church. It's unity in the church. And with great power, I bet, the apostles were giving their testimony. Oh, there's that word again. To what? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. See, their testimony was his testimony. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So what's Luke talking about? Well, Paul picks up on that theme in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, depending on what Bible translation you're reading, in mine, the little header above it says, the resurrection of Christ. So it's the same thing. Because he starts, Paul starts by saying this in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Testimony, resurrection, gospel. Paul and Luke are talking about the gospel. Because God's plan of salvation and our testimony is the gospel. Church, don't hear what the preacher's not saying. We don't like when you do that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't tell people about how God's changed you. Praise the Lord. But that ain't going to do them a lick of good at the, at the judgment seat. Not a lick of good. And if I read one more book about would-be evangelists saying, just share your testimony, it's rubbish. My testimony is powerless. His testimony is the only way people are saved. But we should share how God's changed us. Absolutely true. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So what is the gospel? That's a weird question. I mean, we're standing in a Baptist church. Is that a weird question? I don't think so. G3 conference. T4G conference. Uh, Gospel coalition. All these conferences sprouting up. The gospel is under vicious attack today. So let's recalibrate. Let's look how God defines his gospel. We have to start from scripture. Let's continue in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, 
of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. The gospel is not that Jesus came to the, to the world to make it more moral and just. It's a social gospel, but it's not the biblical one. The gospel is certainly not that God provides health and wealth to all those whom he favors. That's a prosperity gospel, but not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel is just perfect and fully powerful. It's this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul would say on the heels of that, folks, that if anyone is preaching another gospel, a different gospel, let him be accursed. Wow, you feeling the heat on that? That means condemned and cut off. Sent to hell. Because the true gospel is God's good news. That at the cross, God satisfied his justice and demonstrated his love. Jesus Christ died for sinners and was raised for their justification, so that eternal life is now possible only in and through and with him. See, that's God's plan of salvation, and that's the testimony he's called us to share. I encourage you to stick around later, because we're going to learn how to share that in conversation with people we love. So God's given us his power for being Christ's witnesses. God's given us his plan for being Christ's witnesses. And third, God's given us his promise for being Christ's witnesses. In fact, God has given us many promises in his word, but let me share two very encouraging uh, big picture promises that are clear in this passage. First, God gives us the awesome promise of his glory. Look again at verse 8. Second part of it. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, and he adds, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We say mission starts where you're standing. That's true. Jerusalem first, we call that. But God's giving us his promise that his glory will be declared in all the world. See, we see that in Malachi 1.11 at the end of the Old Testament. When God says, my name will be great. Imperative. Among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be great. So Jesus is really reiterating here in Acts chapter 1 in the context of our involvement as his witnesses, he's reiterating that. He's saying this, he will work um, in us and through us to make his name great among the nations. That's missions, isn't it? That's missions. That's a call to missions, and it's a call for us all. Probably my favorite psalm, one of them's 42, one of them's Psalm 96, a missions psalm, says this, sing to the Lord, Bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations. How do we tell of his salvation? How do we declare his glory? By preaching his word. Isn't that it? By preaching his word. Do you understand, if we would just open the Bible in coffee shops across Canada, the fear of the Lord would be released into this culture, and there would be a more God-fearing atmosphere. It would be more moral. I think that was the pattern of life before all this crazy stuff started, right? If we would just open the Bible and declare it, because God promises in Isaiah 55, his word never returns empty, but always accomplishes his purpose, which is what? What's his purpose? His glory is his purpose. 
His glory in worship and salvation. See, God's glory is the main mission of missions, isn't it? God's glory. And I love how in the book of Acts, Luke provides kind of a basic outline of how missions unfolded in the early church. It was just as Jesus commanded. It began in Jerusalem. That's Acts chapters 1 through 7. And it spread to Judea and Samaria. That's Acts chapters 8 through 12. Right, And then it kind of spilled to the ends of the earth, Acts chapters 13 through 28. Because see, when the word of God, church, is faithfully preached by the people of God in the power of the spirit of God, he promises, thus saith the Lord, that his glory will fall. So God's promise in this passage is certainly one aspect, promise of his glory, for being Christ's witnesses. But second, God gives us the glorious promise of his return. We sang about that too. What providential music you folks chose. It is wonderful. We sang of this, his return. You know, immediately after Jesus gave his command to be his witnesses in all the world, the two angels said this to his disciples. Listen to this very carefully. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you as you saw him go into heaven. I mean, Scripture says that Jesus will return in the same way that he went. Now, theologically, i got to be honest, I'm a bit of a theology guy. It's mind-blowing for me to think in my little pea-sized brain. This is kind of like, you know, an ant trying to figure out Wi-Fi walking across your parking lot, right? I can't quite get this. But it's amazing to me that the eternal Son of God took on human flesh and he will remain both fully God and fully man forever. Wow. But I don't think that that is the main point, and maybe only point of the text. See, there's a broader witnessing application for both Christians and non-Christians that we can't miss here. As one of my favorite preachers said about the return of Christ, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is God is here. The bad news is God is here really depends upon which side of the line you are standing, folks. Because how many people know that he's not returning as a babe in a barn second time around here? If we would just leave this place and declare the lordship, the sovereign lordship of King Jesus, and if I could add this, not lie about who he is, everything would change. You wouldn't need a guy to come in and teach you evangelism. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that he did, but, right? Folks, this is such an important point to get. See, the day of Christ's return will be the most awesome experience for some, but the most terrifying experience for others. But because the angels, I think, are speaking specifically to believers in this passage in context, here's what I believe the Spirit of God is saying to us. Christian, have hope, take courage, Because soon, really very soon, Jesus is coming back. You will see Jesus. Don't think you heard me. You guys are worshiping a Savior you've never seen. Go tell that to your unsaved friends. That's kind of weird. Why does your heart long for the return of the King? You know, in 50 years, it makes no difference. Either you go to him or he comes here. I mean, we're going to see him. 
inside 50, 60, certainly 100 years, we'll all in this room see King Jesus. Why does your heart long for Christ's return? Because it's been my experience that many Christians I meet long for the day that Jesus will just deal with sin once and for all. He'll take care of the suffering. I mean, I too desperately want to see this broken world made whole. We sang about that as well. Heal our land. But is that the main reason that that I await his return? I want to borrow an insight from John Piper. He's always good for these types of quotes. In the context of Christ's return, John Piper says this, if you could enjoy a new earth, picture this, with all your family and friends and all the fellowship you ever wanted, all the natural beauties you ever saw, the choice food you ever tasted, if you could enjoy a new earth with no sin, no sickness, no disease, no death, an eternal life, a blessing beyond your wildest dreams, could you be satisfied with that redeemed world without the return of the Redeemer. You have it all, but no Jesus. It's like the parents praying for the the prodigal return of their child. Bring them back, bring them back, bring them back. The child returns, and they walk right past the parents, and they say, wow, I missed this house. Is it like that in your heart and mind? Or do you understand Jesus is the reward? That's the great reveal of Scripture. He is the prize. It's all about him. Because when Christ returns, church, you don't just get saved, though that's glorious, you get the Savior. You don't just get healed, but praise God, we do. We get the healer. We don't just get delivered, we get the deliverer. We just don't get redeemed, though that's wonderful. We get the redeemer. See, the ultimate outcome of your life, your witness, your time here, no more than a millimeter if you extend a tape measure from here to Sydney, Australia. That's all you got. That's the vapor. The outcome's Christ. And Christ himself and Christ alone. So they're saying, don't just stand there looking into heaven. Set your sights on the Savior of heaven, Christ the Lord. He's going to return, but get busy. <laughs> There's work to be done. There's work to be done. So as we head for the home stretch, I want to encourage us all with one more aspect of our text. If we look, if we look closely at G, what Jesus said one more time, you will be my witnesses, witnesses. See, so far the focus here this morning has really been about being an individual witness for Christ, and then that's true. But Christ's command here is that we will be his witnesses together. This is plural. This is so encouraging to me. See, we, the, we see the power of that, witnesses, in Acts 2, 42 to 47. Read that on your own later. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Here we see a whole community of Christ followers. They're living together, the gospel's being shared. They're hanging together. They're, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're breaking bread together. There's fellowship. There's rich koinonia. And scripture says that God adds daily to the number of those being saved. They had the respect of the community. Well, how couldn't they? The reflection of Jesus was so profound. But being Christ's witnesses, church, is not just about me. Much bigger than that. I believe part of the objective of our ministry is to move churches from me to we. Because this, this is a me culture. Right? It's about we. It's about us together making him, him known for his glory. See, yes, yes, true, God has given us each his power to be his witnesses. That's true, his spirit. God has given us each his plan to be his witnesses, his gospel. God has given us each his promise to be his witnesses, his glory, his return. But just imagine, 
Just picture, if we all got our coats on right now at Knollwood, and we exited, you understand, it's not come and see, it's go and tell. There's no come and see version of the Bible of evangelism. The Sermon on the Mount's a very flaky example of that, if that's what you're going for. It's all go and tell. But what if we all, not just me, not just Nate, what if we all, one body, many members, gifted beautifully in different ways as the Holy Spirit's enabled you, we put on our jackets, we went to this hurting community, just like my hurting community, and the prayers were praying, those, and the gospel's being beautifully shared and biblically shared, and the counselors are counseling and the gospel's being shared. And those with gifts of mercy and hospitality, they're extending those in Jesus' name and the gospels being shared. What kind of impact would that have on the community? If you're waiting for them to come, they're not coming. Can I tell you that? The culture's not almost Christian. I engage people every week. They're not coming. Many born and raised here have never been inside of a church. They've never read a Bible. They don't even really know much about Jesus well, I can tell you what kind of impact our church had on a man named Tim in that sort of framework. You see, our ministry equips churches to develop and deploy sort of local missions teams that we call go teams, gospel outreach teams. And these are teams really commissioned by the leadership of the church to preach the gospel while serving uh, the needs of those in their community together. And this is done using the various gifts that we have. That's sort of what Nate was a part of when he, when he alluded to that earlier. Well, one of our church's go team missions was on a uh, coat drive on a dead cold Valentine's Day, downtown London, right here at home. And our go team was driven to share the love of Christ with our community. And we encountered this character named Tim. Tim. Now, Tim experienced the love of Christ from me through receiving the gospel. He actually let me sort of interview him, and I just wanted to get to know him some and, 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 uh, and, and uh, relate to him and... But Tim experienced also the love of Christ from another GO team member through receiving prayer. And again, he heard the gospel. And then another GO team member gave him a Bible, and he again heard the gospel. Tim experienced the love of Christ from yet another GO team member who had the gifts of hospitality and mercy. He received a ride to church. Looks a little different there. And he heard the gospel from our pastor. But just picture this. It wasn't just about me. Do you understand, when I showed up here with Wayne, and we were just kind of hanging out in the foyer, we looked a little like Jesus. As the saints come marching in, we look a lot more like Jesus. Because I'll promise you, there's ways that you're gifted that I'm not. My first assignment in my church where I was saved was handing out bulletins. I was passing out bulletins, thought I was doing a good job. This older saint, I love older saints, he said, hey son, you got the joy of the Lord? I said, yep. He said, maybe you should notify your face. Wasn't my gifting. However, what happened when Tim was on the outside? The outside, and the church goes and gets him. And now he encounters the worship, the fellowship, the new cafe, all of these good things. These are, not, these are great things. But then he encounters this group of worshipers. That literally brought Tim to his knees. Literally. Repentance, faith, he's saved. Wow. What a story, right? Well, it's complicated with guys like Tim. I'm not trying to be unkind, but there's a lot of moving parts there, and we hadn't seen him in a while. Well, that was until he mysteriously shows up at our very first church in the park, Gospel Outreach. Just sort of shows up. right? Not, not only is this sort of Gospel Outreach park bit a glorious testimony of God's grace, 
But imagine how humbled we were when he sort of, sort of coincidentally shows up for the outdoor service. Now, again, it's so complicated with, with fellows like this. And I know he's in fellowship sometimes at our church, but more often in other churches, fine. But, but, but he, he, here's the point. Here's the point to the whole story. Because, folks, evangelism is ultimately about discipleship. Do you understand that, right? God's plan's the church. As to what kind of encouragement, what kind of breath did this breathe in to our little church at that point? Because here's the truth. Just like everyone who hears the good news from your lips or from Scripture, they can choose to receive or reject Christ. But to the praise and glory of the King, Tim cannot say that he did not encounter the worshiping, witnessing church in London through our ministry. And that, to me, is discipleship, which is why I'm honestly so thankful that that uh, to God that Knollwood is a missions partner church with the Cross Current and and uh, Pastor Nate has actually invited me to share just a little bit of an update with with maybe you know who who we are maybe uh, you don't I was so thankful that someone on the way in said uh, hey thanks for your radio ministry love that and I'm like you're the person who listens appreciate that I know there's one and it's been going for a long time but um, just quick quick story here I I've been uh, pastoring in the local church since uh, 2002. And since 2007, I've been um, volunteering my time uh, as an equipping evangelist to help leaders equip their own churches for the work of evangelism together. Well, this past June, the season changed, and uh, our own church leaders commissioned me with my family who are at the back to step out in faith and hope, and it was hopeful at that point, of serving as the first full-time equipping evangelist with this ministry, the Cross Current, which, of which I'm president. And praise God that he provided providentially on Canada Day, a new season started, whereby now full-time I go and I help churches and disciple and, uh, and, um, and step into situations whereby churches really do need help, which is why we're inviting any concerned Christ followers to what we call help here at home. You see that up there, here, Romans ten fourteen. here. How will they hear without someone preaching? Now, I'm so thankful, praise God, that I've literally been contacted, we've been contacted by every church just since July, every denomination, quite literally, across the spectrum, all asking for help, equipping their saints. Tomorrow night, I've got a meeting at a, a Christian Reformed church outside of town. Never happened. It's never happened. I mean, there's a, a unique thing happening here. But I, I look to folks like these precious ones. I mean, pictured here are 15 church leaders, Anglican, Baptist, Brethren, CMA, CRC, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, just to name a few. The first testimony is they're not fighting. They're getting along. Hey, that's exciting. <laughs> Everyone's happy at the table here. But they, they all invited little old me just to come in and, and just kind of talk about what's going on and promote partnership with the ministry and training. They're desperate for gospel health, folks. Canada needs Christ. Amen? But because most churches are smaller, 75 people or less, many struggle financially. That's just the reality. Met a lady yesterday. I was speaking in, uh, in Barrie, and she said, we've got about 25 left. Can you come? She's somewhere that's just not convenient for me to come. But you know what? That's what I've uh, been called and, and, and gifted to do. But our most urgent need as a family ministry is to establish a stable support base for multiplying the mission. We need a home team in our hometown of London to make it happen. So here's our invitation, very simply. Will you help us mentor more 
Leaders to unify and multiply gospel ministry in their own local churches. This is what we do right here from within the church. If that resonates with your heart, a couple simple ways that you can support us. First, pray sincerely. We need prayer. Lots of prayer. So we've prepared for, uh, for each household one of these little prayer packs. As soon as you go out the door, you're going to see a little table set up. Just grab one for your household. So this will equip you to pray for us, okay? And inside there is a, a ministry brochure. There's a discipleship update. There's a, a missions family picture. Looks like that. As one of our board members says, there's three fantastic looking people. And Corey, put that on your fridge, okay? And uh, I know that's not funny, really, but uh, put that on your fridge and, and pray for us. We'd really appreciate that. And um, again, my, uh, my wife Dawn and our son Caleb is here, so say hello to them at the table. So pray for us. But second, you can also give financially as the Lord leads. So in your prayer pack is a little financial commitment card, very straightforward, kind of looks like that. It's on the screen. And uh, if you have questions about that, we are a registered charity. You can securely give online as well. And all donations are tax receipted. Okay, so I want to close in prayer. And I, I thank God for you folks. I just want to be just straight up. The welcome I received coming in this building gave me great hope, great hope that this church is seriously ready for a huge explosion of outreach and of, uh, of new folks coming in. There, there's, some, there's some moving parts to that too, you get that? They don't think like us, but praise God, praise God for this church and its rich, rich heritage. So let's pray. Well, Lord, you've, you've called all those who are saved in this room, not, not to merely act like Christians, God, but to be Christ's witnesses to this world. Lord, you've given us your power to be your witnesses. God, the power of your spirit. God, you have given us your plan to be your witnesses, the plan of your gospel, Lord. You've given us your precious promise to be your witnesses, the promise of your glory, of your return. Lord, it's truly all about you. And so, Lord, I, we, we... Repent of thinking of ourselves too highly, Lord. Lord, your word says we're actually nothing. It's you and only you who brings the dead to life in Christ. So, Lord, we humbly ask that you do that through us today. Reignite, God, that fire, that passion, that zeal, that urgency to know you and make you known to all the lost world around us. And, Lord, help all those here at Knollwood, God, a church with such a rich heritage of community outreach, God, to be your witnesses. Help them, Lord, to go from me to we, to bring you praise, glory, and honor together as your church. Here in London, the local mission field, God, you've prepared for them. And I, I pray this all in the mighty and matchless name of King Jesus. Amen.